Hey everyone out there, how is it going with you today? How's it going? How's it going, people? How the hell are you? How the hell you doing, buddy? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm actually not sure where that came from inside of me, but it came from somewhere. So, I, I don't know. I'm fi- I figure out this stuff sometimes as I go, and so that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, but anyways, let's do the bleep, redo. <laughs> okay. Hello everyone out there. Welcome to Screen Speak. It is the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. My name is Jordan Anderson, that's S-O-N at the end, and I thank you so very much for coming by today and giving this episode a listen. If it is your first time on this podcast, well, welcome, welcome, happy to have you here. Screen Speak's a cool place. Of course I would say that because I run this thing, but I really think this is a cool podcast. Uh, I really enjoy the content that I produce, and the biggest thing is I just enjoy that I have you, my listening base out there, that listens to this, and that means the world to me, so thank you very much. If you've been here a while, well, welcome back. Happy to have you here. This should be a really fun episode, I think, because I got a badass movie to talk about, being John Wick Chapter 4, so strap in for that here soon. Uh, but if you've been here a while, thanks for again for coming back and checking out this episode. Really appreciate you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do some plugs, just some light plugs here, but I actually have quite a bit I want to talk about with this movie, so the plugs on here will be quick. Social media, check it out. Facebook, Instagram, that's where this podcast is at. All that information is in the description of this episode and most any episode, so please check out that. Hit the follow button, of course, if you haven't already done that, as well as the bell, usually located near that follow button, so that you don't miss out when I drop new content on whatever podcast service you are listening to this on. That would be super helpful if you do that. Helps the podcast, helps me, helps you. Uh, It helps everything, right? So just be a part of this community, be a part of ScreenSpeak, and hit that follow button. It will be much appreciated, and I'm I'm sure you'll be happy with it. Uh, Let's see. Ah, one more thing, of course, as if I could forget this at all. Uh, super exciting. I, I know I announced it before on my Instagram and Facebook, and I think I mentioned it in the last episode of the podcast, but I will be at the Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival April 14th, 15th, and 16th at Collins Road Theaters in Marion, Iowa. So if you want to come check check out the podcast, check it out live in person, I'm going to have a booth. I, of course, will be in attendance, of course, duh, going to be running the booth. Uh, I have a recording space set up where I'm going to be talking with a lot of the filmmakers and some of the actors and people that worked on a lot of the projects that got submitted for this thing there. Uh, It's an insanely exciting opportunity for myself, uh, for the podcast, um, just to also help put a spotlight on some of these filmmakers that are up and coming in the state of Iowa. It's really tremendously exciting. I got prizes I'm giving away. I got some light merch. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff that I have planned, but you'll only get to experience that if you come and check it out at the festival. So again, mark your calendars, April 14th, 15th, 16th of this year, 2023, of course, at Collins Road Theaters. So definitely come and stop by, even if it's just to say hi, that would be terrific. Uh, but anyways, yeah, that, that's all I got for the introduction of this. So I'm going to go ahead and get into the action Get into the action of this movie, because my God, there is a lot of it. Um, you know, I'll tell you, when I was preparing this episode, and I was kind of going through my outline and everything I wanted to talk about, the very first thing that actually came to mind for me 
is that this movie is so representative of a symphony of carnage uh, or uh, it feels like a real victory lap for the John Wick franchise, this movie, uh, almost sort of, a, as you will, like a greatest hits compilation of everything that John Wick fans have come to love and expect uh, since diving into the world of Wick uh, since chapter one, since the first movie, since those bastard Russians uh, killed that beautiful puppy. What scumbags. But I mean, they, they got what was coming to them uh, with a lot of bullets from Mr. Wick. So <laughs> uh, anyways, we, we've all been fans, at least since those of us that have been watching since 2014. Um, but I really say Symphony of Carnage for this movie because there are so many jaw-dropping action sequences that if there was even a handful of these that were placed in just one movie alone, an audience member, an average audience member would be impressed because they'd just be like, wow, this was so executed well. It was shot brilliantly. Uh, the action felt um, really intense. It, it was very methodically thought out. But this movie has, I think, like a dozen or more like major action sequences across its nearly three-hour runtime. I think this movie is two hours and 49 minutes. Uh, but I, I think it goes by for the most part. I mean, it drags uh, here and there. Um, I, I admit it probably doesn't need to be the three hours or the, the two-hour, 49-minute time. You could probably shave some of that down a little bit. But I also think at this stage in the game for the Wick movies... The main people that are watching these have been there since the beginning, and they're fully on board. They're fully invested into this universe. So having that extra runtime to allow action sequences to breathe more uh, and have there be just more creativity behind the camera, I, I don't think the major hardcore fans will mind in the slightest. Uh, I sure as hell know I did not. Um but I'll tell you, I've been a fan of the John Wick movies since the beginning. Uh, I, I do feel like I was one of those people that when the first one came out that I knew that this movie was going to be amazing. Like, I knew it wasn't just your average disposable movie. Uh, but I think the first movie really took people by storm because they just weren't expecting the action to be as high and tight as it was. To have so much of it be held in a steady frame without... Um, all the years prior of shaky cam footage and choppy editing and, you know, having a bunch of coverage to cover like five different stunt guys for one actor. I mean, we've seen the movies that have been the repeat offenders for this over the years, but John Wick, when it came into the fold of, of action movies, it really elevated the genre, I think. And it really has, you know, still to this day, I think sort of set a standard, a new precedent, if you will, for how action movies can be helmed and, and what the audience is expecting, which in other words is just not getting a migraine and, you know, just just looking at the screen going like, I have no idea what the hell's going on. This is too much. Uh, I, I don't even know. I can't even see the actor's face. Uh, all of that. So I really think that the, the John Wick movies really helped change that and for the better, uh, for real. And I also think that the movies just as a whole really have given a new appreciation and fondness for the stunt community and for stunt choreography. Uh, I don't think I'm sure even myself fully understands how much work really goes into that, but John wick is a testament to the stunt community. It's, it's a, it's a love letter to, to martial arts in movies, uh, to a lot of different genres kind of all boiled together in this, uh, terrific world of John wick and chapter four, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, if I'm just giving it like a ranking across the movies, um, 
this is tough. I guess I'll just do this on the spot. So the first one is still my favorite just because it's the one that, you know, introduces everything. It's, it's simple. It's, you know, it's, it's new. It's, 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 it's original, right? So the first one is still my favorite, but I got to tell you, I think I would probably put John Wick four right behind number one. Like it would go, uh, one, four, and then I think, uh, Probably, probably uh, two and then three being, I guess, the least favorite. But that's that's that, that's it's even hard to say that though because all of these movies I've enjoyed every single one of them. I'm just if I'm putting them in a in a pit to fight each other off, I, I mean that's the order I'm going to give you. It's going to go one, four, uh, two, and three for me. And I'm sure that'll be subjective and of course open to interpretation for everybody. And I'd love to actually hear. Uh, what you all think of not only John Wick Chapter 4, but of course, uh, John Wick 1, 2, 3. Uh, let me know on social media, email the podcast, do whatever it is you need to do to let me know that. But seriously, I would love to hear what you guys thought about this movie. Now, if I move on and I talk about the plot in this movie, uh, I'll get into some spoilers towards the end of this episode, and I'll I'll do my best to make a disclaimer and just say, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, but the plot in this is very straightforward. I mean, it is, you know, John Wick is still up against the high table, the seedy underworld that controls uh, pretty much all assassinations, it seems, across the world. Uh, they still have a huge bounty on his head. They, they want him dead. Uh, John Wick wants them dead. So who can make each other dead first <laughs> is kind of the, the general gist of this movie. They do expand the lore uh, a little bit further in this movie, just kind of showing other Continentals as they've done before, um, but then also expanding, uh, you know, just how the high table structure works and, you know, some of their old laws that they have from whenever the hell it was founded. Who knows? But let's be real. If you're watching John Wick, any John Wick movie, I'm not saying the plot is insignificant. It's not. I think the plot's actually pretty good. Um, it's very focused for sure, but the action is what draws you into this movie. And I can definitely say with this movie, they actually reduce some of the plot elements. Um, I'd say significantly less from two and three, and it is more action centric than I think the other movies are. So for the pure action movie enthusiast out there, that's going to be a good thing because that's what you paid the price of admission for is to see that action. But then if you're looking more for the plot element uh, focus sort of things, you, you might you know be a little dissatisfied here. I know, I think Variety actually put out an article saying that John Wick, uh, excuse me, Keanu Reeves, plays John Wick. He has like a total of 326 words, <laughs> I want to say, like across the movie. Uh, he doesn't really uh, say a lot, uh, not, with his, uh, not with his face anyway, but he sure as hell talks a lot with kicking the shit out of people. Uh, and you certainly get plenty of that in this movie. Now, I want to talk about the stunt choreography in this one. Now, stunt choreography is something that I wish they had an Academy Award for, at the very least, a Golden Globe or hell, create a, uh, a guild for, I mean, there is, I, I'm pretty sure there actually is like a stunt guild out there, but th these guys need recognition, the guys and the women. I, let's not forget the ladies. There are tremendously talented female uh, stunt uh, stunt performers out there, but I just don't understand why stunt choreography is not taken more seriously on the award circuit and why it's not given the praise it is. It's extremely physically uh, taxing. 
uh, to do all this stuff, but it also takes a very meticulous level of planning and detail to make it all flow together and marry it all together in order to uh, make the action sequence make sense, um, not only from a story perspective, uh, but just also from a fighting perspective where the hits make sense, people where they fall, it all makes sense. There is a lot that goes into it. And this movie, as I said from the beginning, is an absolute symphony of carnage when it comes to the level um, the high level of stunt choreography on display in this movie. Uh, but here's what I loved about the stunt choreography in this movie. Uh, just all the planning that you can tell. I mean, I mentioned earlier on that there's like a dozen, I think, major action, uh, action sequences in this movie. You have a terrific like 30-minute sequence that takes place at the uh, Osaka uh, Continental, the one that's in Japan. Um, beautiful fight scene with uh, Hira... Oh my god, can't think of his name. Hiroyuki Sonata, uh, absolute badass legend in martial arts across several different movies. Saw him for the first time in, I think, The Last Samurai, I want to say. Uh, but he's he's an absolute badass and very happy with what he delivered in this movie. But just going back to all the work that it takes to do the stunt choreography, because... Aside from just the overall rehearsals that have to go in with the people that know how to fight, uh, there's also the locational challenges and everything else. But let me, I'm getting a little too excited here. So I'm going to just kind of piece this out one little section at a time, and then we'll just go from there. Now, first major thing I appreciate in the world of stunt choreography is, of course, all the different fighting styles that can be displayed. And John Wick is an excellent melting pot of showing several different types. Uh, there's street balls. There's uh, elements of mixed martial arts or MMA. You have more standard martial arts. There's uh, definitely forms of judo on display, I believe. Uh, you know, Keanu Reeves and Endor John Wick. Uh, his fighting style is more of like a, Brazil a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, of course, his uh, trademark practically gun-fu not sure how much that would fly in the real world, but in John Wick, uh, it certainly does wonders, especially if you have those badass ballistic vests. Which actually, on that subject here, I'm going to squirrel for a second. Let me look this up. Ballistic vest John Wick. I'm sure, sure I'm, I'll find something if I type that in here. reason I'm looking this up is because a, I don't even know if this is real. I, I, I had a feeling there's elements of this that, that could be real, uh, but I don't think there's actually suits that have bulletproof stuff in this. Let me see. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll see if this website actually tells me the truth. Uh, for some reason, ties.com is the place I went to this, and I am looking at this article, and the short... Okay, here we go. So the question that it's asking is how realistic are the Kevlar line suits, the bulletproof vests, if you will, uh, jackets in John Wick? And the short answer is it's saying sort of, okay? Uh, let me see if it elaborates on here. If it doesn't, then I will just keep going. Uh, okay, come on, just t tell me the answer. Um, it says, a thread on Reddit asks, point blank, how realistic is Wick's cutting-edge body armor? Okay. Um, that's I've, I've already said that question. Where's the answer? Come on, just tell me. All right. Mm, da, 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 da. Hmm. 
So apparently in Toronto, there's a place that offers a, a line of bulletproof suits crafted with carbon nanotube technology. Okay. So there's something like this. And it's, this article is going further on to say that it can, def- t- can defeat or uh, help against pistol caliber threats up to 44 Magnum. And the price is only $5,000. Now, I say only 5000 because, I mean, I don't know. To me, that actually sounds kind of cheap for a bulletproof suit. Um, but I, I don't know. But then it's also saying there's a two-piece blo- a bullet blocker suit from a company the same name that oh it's called the bullet blocker okay and that one's 1200 huh so okay well i mean the article didn't really fully mention it and you know i don't really have time honestly right now everybody to go down this road of finding out if these suits that can block bullets are real i could always try to test it out <laughs> right I could always just place an order and be like hey everyone i'm gonna go try to get shot today and we'll, we'll find out if this is real go ahead and hashtag the guy from Screenspeak is going to get himself shot in the in the name of seeing if uh, bulletproof vests are real. Probably not a safe thing, but it sure as hell would get a lot of views, wouldn't it? I don't know. Time will tell on that one. I'm not thinking that one is going to happen. But anyways, <clears throat> going all the way back to the stunt choreography. You know, I love all the different fighting styles on display. I, of course, love that they hire all these different people that clearly have a proficiency in it they are experts in the fields uh they have practiced relentlessly to get an opportunity like this so i think it's incredible i also think when it comes to the choreography of the scene apart from the location which certainly plays of great importance how the overall fight plays out it's how they use the settings and objects around them now i think when i think of using objects to your advantage off the top, I'm going to think of just Jackie Chan because he's so good at doing his drunk Kung Fu style where he just grabs things around them and very cleverly uses them to defend against punches or to make someone stuck in a spot or whatever. Uh, I think of Mr. Jackie Chan for that. But in John Wick, I mean, there are so many kills on display where you know damn near every single one of them is carefully planned out where this guy's head is going to snap like this um this person's going to drop from a rooftop and crack his head like that uh or this person's going to hit the tree or the stair like this this person's going to get incinerated by a shotgun uh, (laughs) right here there's so many creative kills in this and again all this is carefully planned And I also think it's worth noting in the John Wick movies that while I have already said that the story is not as of paramount importance as the action is, it's all serving the story, meaning that there's never really a scene that's in there that just feels like it's out of nowhere just to have an action sequence. It's all part of John Wick's journey to uh, reach this place by, uh, by early morning. Uh, to have a standoff with uh, the high table uh, head played by Bill Skarsgård. Um, that's, I don't really know if that's a, a, a true spoiler. I mean, that's part of the stuff that's in the movie. The trailer might give that away a little bit. But in any case, uh, maybe light spoiler right there. But anyways, um, it all is serving the story, and it's not just randomly thrown in there. And then I also think that just from the the camera work as well, there's a lot of logistics that you have to do with the blocking of scenes. So if Keanu, the few times he does need a stunt performer, how you make sure that looks seamless without it being distracting. Um, 
making sure that there is a very uh, consistent flow across it. Uh, continuity wise, I know that's a big thing in action sequences, especially if they already shot like 75% of a scene, but then they have to do reshoots on something because there was an element that didn't quite work. You have to reset everything up so that it's not noticeable that something was, you know, shot at another time. Uh, one thing I was reading up on, on this, and I'll get to this later, there was a New York Times article that I stumbled across talking about a step-by-step look at the climactic se- uh, sequence in Chapter 4 where he's got to go up this very big staircase in Paris. And in that article, it was saying that they had to shoot that entire thing over the course of like seven days. And that's just an example right there where when you watch the movie, it just seems like, oh, wow, like this is just a great like one take or, you know, they really practiced the hell out of this. But no, they're they're very smart in how they position the camera with the edits so that it all does get that seamless look and you just think that this is happening in the moment. But in reality, there is a ton of planning and prep and precision that has to happen to make this all be just amazingly, amazingly awesome for the audience. And that's probably not the best way of saying that. But, you know, I think my point is coming across. But I just, I cannot, like, I just, my hat's off to you. I would take my earphones off to you. Here, I will. Can you hear me do this? That was me taking my earbuds off to the filmmakers out there, uh, Chad Stahelski, the stunt coordinators of the John Wick movies. Uh, you guys and women, hopefully there's women that work on this too, you, you killed it. You absolutely killed it with this movie. Um, you know, if you could, and I'm sure somebody, somebody will probably do this at one point, if you just took the song uh, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor by Drowning Pool, I think it is, I'd insert a little bit of it in here, but if any of you actually realize this, when I posted episode 73, uh, I actually had a copyright flag um, from Spotify, uh, from, excuse me, uh, Spotify. Um, I guess, I mean, not I guess, I know I was using um, copyrighted materials at one point uh, because I was talking about music a lot, but one particular track got flagged. I tried to re-upload the episode. Spotify, I don't think ever fully got it back on there, but I do see it's out there on other podcast platforms. So anyways, uh, where I'm going with this is that if you took that song, just let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor, that, and you just made like a montage of Wick just wasting people and having bodies pile up, um, that type of energy I think was going through me in this movie. I mean, there was several moments where, you know, I was just like, yes, oh my God. I'm like, just bam, 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 bam. You know, just like shoot him, get him, kick his ass. Like I was, the, the blood was pumping. Blood was pumping for me in this movie. It's a good thing I did not get into a street fight afterwards. Uh, my confidence maybe would have been a little high due to the wick. I just uh, intake, uh, intook, intook, it's not a word. Uh, due to the amount of wick that I ingested, I would probably try to foolishly put it out there into the world and get my head snapped in half. Thank God that didn't happen. But just blood pumping shit, man. Just, oh, God. God damn, this movie is, is firing me up right now. I'm just just getting, getting intense. Got to, you know what? Just, ooh. I'm going to take, take a sip of water here because I just, I got to collect myself, right? Y'all probably didn't think I could do that. I just, you know, just control the chaos within. But I, I got to do it sometimes. So, Mm. Ah, okay. There we go. 
There we go. It's okay. Yeah, we, we, we get it. John Wick Chapter 4. It kicked ass, but just talk about it calmly. Talk about it calmly. Okay. All right. I have now recentered myself due to H, uh, H2O and my own brain saying, don't scare the shit out of the screen speak audience with your blood pumping energy on this. So I can continue. I can continue forward. Um, okay. Now... Something else I want to talk about in these in these movies, but with John Wick Chapter 4, of course, is the cinematography in this movie. Now, I love since the first movie that they established this very neon nightclub-esque feel for everything. And certainly through 2 and 3, you definitely saw that look carry over where practically any place that John Wick goes probably has a neon light of some kind around. Uh, Now, I don't think New York and some of the other globe-trotting places he goes to always look like this, but everything has a very distinct, kick-ass, just nightclub-esque glow. I don't know how else to call that. I'm sure set designers out there are like, Jesus, you really don't know how to talk about this stuff. Well, you know, there's only so many things that I can try to read up on and take part in to talk about it with uh, precision. So I'm just going to say it looks like a nightclub throughout. And I very much like that that not only continued through this, but they really, I really think the camera work is the best it's ever been in this movie. Um, There are some beautiful, beautiful shots in this, some great, wonderful, long takes, wide shots. Um, I think one of the scenes that stands out in particular for me where it felt truly like a greatest hits moment in terms of its callback in the music to the the red circle music that they play in the first one. If you've seen the first movie, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. So I think the song is actually called like led spirals. I think if you look that up, you could find it. But if you look at that, that song, and then look at this, this shot I'm talking about, they have this sequence where John wick gets a shotgun that has uh, incendiary rounds. So quite literally when he shoots at people, they practically not only rip in half, but also explode in flames <laughs> and it's just completely badass and, and impressive to behold. And like, if I saw, if I saw, if I was in that room and I like, he's he just wasted like four people with this gun. I wouldn't even bother. I just, you know, drop my guns, run away as fast as possible. It is not worth your life, but I guess these other goons don't get it or they want the like, I don't know, 30 million price tag that's on his head by this point. In any case, The cinematography for this, why it stands out, is because they did it all from a bird's eye view perspective. Now, for those of you that might not be familiar with that, that's essentially when a camera is positioned at the top of a set and it's all completely pointing downwards on the actors or the environment below it, similar to the way a bird would be flying overhead looking down below at its prey. Now, in this case, we're looking down below at John Wick's prey, which is essentially anybody that even looks at him because they're going to get fucked up in this scene by all the shotguns that all the incendiary rounds that he's spraying at their faces. Uh, But in any case, I, I would be so curious to talk to the people that shot that I'd have so many questions because I wonder a how much of that set was actually real versus how much was visual effects that they were able to stitch it together. Um, because it seems like to me that a lot of it was real, but that they probably just didn't have a ceiling. They, you know, really took time to build all this and orchestrated how the camera would flow between all of it. And since a lot of it is done in a seamless take without 
what I could tell are any edits. I also wonder how how much rehearsal would have to be done to make sure that it's all in camera uh, and everything is staged correctly, which, again, going back to the stunt choreography, uh, it's terrific. But when they're playing this, uh, this music, the, the LED spiral music from the first movie, which... I wasn't exactly sure why they did that other than that it just really felt like the greatest hits reel where it's just really strapped back and and have some popcorn and watch as Wick just destroys people to some of the best music in the movie which was that first uh, song that I just said. Um, But I was just, excuse me, but I was watching that sequence just in absolute awe. I mean, the music is thumping. Wick is wasting people with these incendiary rounds. The camera is not missing a beat. And you're just in awe too, because it's like, how, how much can this guy take? Like how many people can this guy take before his energy is just going to drop? Now I don't see John Wick have Red Bulls at any point. I mean, I, I expect there's probably a lot of adrenaline from people shooting you and hunting you for 17 hours out of the day, but it's just, it's a marvel to behold the amount of energy and and stamina that these performers have to be able to do all of this and, and keep the level of intensity as high as it is um, across this specific sequence. But I just, I got to give a shout out to the cinematography in these movies uh, specifically for this one, chapter four. I think it's by far the best it's ever looked Um, that bird's eye view. Like if you see the movie, talk to me after or send me your thoughts on it because it just, it blew my mind. It blew my mind with how freaking insane it was. Um, now I talked about how there's a lot of different action sequences in this, but I do want to go over the ones that were my standouts in this, like the ones that were my favorites. Uh, I think I mentioned the stuff at the, uh, Japan continental, the Osaka one. Uh, I just love like the samurai look of things, the modern look of Japan, uh, combined with the, the world of Wick and how everything looks with the lights. Um, you know, you have those, I'm going to sound like an idiot here, but you have those uh, beautiful Japanese trees where you have like the petals that are falling off and, you know, people getting sliced with swords. Um, you know, you also have the the challenge with some of these people from the high table that have this like thick ballistic armor. They're almost like modern day looking knights. And so you have to like get under their helmet to blow their heads off and all this different stuff. But it was really terrific for the that entire sequence of Japan. Like I could have watched an entire movie around that and I probably would have had a good time. Uh, I think another one of the standouts in this is the, the Paris circle sequence with all the traffic. I I'm sure visual effects had to play into that, but there did look to be a lot of real driving in that and seeing performers bob and weave between just oncoming traffic, uh, just going around as there's gunfights. It was kind of crazy. And on this note, just with the traffic going around while, you know, all these people are shooting at Wick, I want to, I want to throw this thought out here and just see if it sticks or see if there's any, if there's anything to it. So I actually watched this movie, uh, with my mother, which kind of crazy that she even has an interest in Wick. I, I think she just thinks Keanu Reeves is hot, (laughs) frankly. Uh, but she likes these movies. She likes it in the first one. He protects the dog. And so she gets, she can get behind that, but she's watched these John Wick movies and she wanted to see this one. And we watched it. And one of her thoughts, not particular to the Paris sequence, but another that I'll get to in a second 
is why is it that sometimes when all this carnage and chaos is going around while there's witnesses, they're just sort of standing around and, and not really doing anything or they just kind of casually observe it. Or in, in this case with the Paris sequence, they're just kind of driving by normally while people are shooting guns and, you know, trying to run over John wick and do all these things. Um, now there's some, some different thought processes that could go on this. Some people would view this as like a plot hole. Um, I don't know if I necessarily view it as that. I think it's just the world of wick and that some of this stuff is just kind of happening and it's all meant to be very underground and kind of below the radar. So maybe people are just too busy in this world that they're not really paying attention to it. Uh, I'm not really sure, but I just wanted to throw that thought out there and see what you all thought. Is that bullshit? Like, should the people be freaking out more? Should it be more grounded where in reality, if someone's firing a gun by you, you're going to duck or do you continue just kind of, you know, bob and weave and dance in the club or just kind of drive your car and be like, oh, shoot, you know, they're trying to waste John Wick again, but I got to get to work. I don't know. Y'all let me know that. Uh, let me know what makes the most sense, but I got to throw that out there. But the pair sequence with the with that circle. I, I should know actually what the place is called. It's a very iconic spot in Paris outside of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, so that was nice to see because I feel like, you know, Eiffel Tower gets kind of overused sometimes anytime you feature Paris in a movie. So having this very particular spot was cool. Uh, I mentioned that there is a sequence in a club, um, which anytime you have John Wick in a club and you have badass rave music, uh, sweet. I, I, I'm not going to complain. In this, I thought it was interesting because they incorporated a lot of water elements with it, which just made for beautiful cinematography while he's beating the shit out of people. And then this is also a sequence where I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Um, you have Scott Atkins, who, if anybody knows who that is, he is, a, a, I would say, a fairly, fairly famous martial artist uh, slash actor. He's worked with uh, a lot of different action movies in the past. Let me actually look him up here. Um, Good Lord, I just had amnesia. I couldn't remember his name. I didn't even write it down. Oh, Scott Atkins. Jesus. Scott Atkins. Okay. He's a British actor. Uh, he worked on... Well, it looks like he's kind of done... Yeah, he did some of the, like, the Undisputed movies. Let's, let's see what he's done. He's done some stuff. Of course he's done some stuff. But let's see. He was, I guess, in Netflix's Day Shift... Um, oh, he was an Ip Man 4, so there's a Donnie Yen tie in there. The uh, point is, though, is that he's a very well-regarded like martial artist. He is physically fit, but in this, they threw him into a fat suit, gave him some gold teeth, and made him be a crazy Russian gangster. And <clears throat> I'll talk about that here. No, I guess I'll just talk about it here now. I'll talk about the cast a little bit later. But... It was interesting to see like why that decision was done. Um, I felt like it was comical at times. Like to me, like I could feel I'm like this is definitely a fat suit. This is not real. Uh, but I guess it didn't really matter because I was just enjoying how much he was, you know, sort of relishing the role and just being kind of campy and cartoony with it. Um, he reminded me sort of like a mix of like Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin uh, versus the Penguin from um, like the. Not not the new Batman movies, but like the Danny DeVito one. I felt like there was some sort of a combination of that. Uh, someone is calling me according to my watch, but I cannot answer it right now because you come first, Screen Speak. Uh, phone calls can wait. Okay. Now, 
I just I loved all the stuff with Scott Atkins. They they built up the tension in that scene beautifully with this uh, scene regarding cards. It was great, um, but I also just liked how he was very hammy, just kind of chewing the scenery up. But I very much liked the club sequence. That's the point. And then I think the next action sequence that really stood out to me was the stair sequence in the third act in the movie, where he's got to climb uh, quite literally like two hundred stairs to get to the top if he's going to make it to his destiny on time. Um, this is, uh, yeah, this is where I'll actually talk about that New York times article I had on here. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I just want people to understand some of the technical challenges that go into this. So I'm not going to read this entire article word for word. Um, I'll actually try to be a good person and put it into the description of the episode. So for my readers out there, you can go ahead and listen to that or not listen to it. Uh, just read it whenever you like to. Um, but let's see. Let's see some excerpts from this that stand out that I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. Blah, 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 blah. Finding this. Uh, Stelhelski, he's just saying how when they found the, the place to shoot this, they the, the stunt people that were there were just kind of smiling because they already knew instantly what he was wanting to do with it. Um, which that's always nice to see when people are on the same page on this. Um, they did prep work for this shoot in both Berlin and Paris before the cameras even rolled, and the team kept rehearsing and altering movements even while uh, Stahelski was starting to do filming on another part of the staircase. And the stunt coordinator, or one of the stunt coordinators on the movie, a man named Stephen, uh, Stephen or Stefan uh, Dunlevy, he was saying the scene was no more complex than any other fight on a John Wick film, but uh, one of the other coordinators act, uh, added that the very act of scaling the stairs certainly had its physical challenges on everybody, especially if you ever had to reset a shot. So kind of crazy there. Um, I also think it's interesting to know that there are, of course, uh, times where they would do padding on the stairs. And just padding in general, if you know anything about stunts and movies, you look into martial arts, it's a fairly common thing that they uh, will make textures on the ground have padding underneath it. So when people are doing these heavy falls, it's not nearly as damaging. The worst they'll get is some cuts and bruises, but not you know concussions or broken bones. But they did do some padding on the stairs, according to this article, and then digitally... Uh, digitally digitally <laughs> digitally remove them uh using cgi of course so thought that would be interesting to throw in here as well um and again yeah i think i said this before but the filming for this sequence it took place seven uh on seven days uh during which they sometimes even had to wait for uh tourists to kind of go by the pass and make sure that they're you know there's no no people that shouldn't be in the movie involved uh, they shot with like some 35 uh, stunt people, others that had been killed across the the Wick movie uh, before, John Wick Chapter 4, because sometimes they'll just reuse the same person, because why not? Um, and I'm trying to see what else. They do say in here that there is a moment where uh, Keanu does a bit of a role, and a bit is kind of a stretch because it's a, it's a big role. Uh, but they did admit that for one, they, they did have to use a stunt double for that because I mean, Keanu's great and does a lot, but you know, for the real, real dangerous shit, I mean, you can't risk killing the star of your movie, but anyways, I, I want to throw that article in the description of the episode. Cause I think it will uh, be telling for those that have an interest in stunt choreography. 
Uh, okay. The cast. Um, I don't have a ton to say about the cast. I just, I'll give some bullets on here that stand out to me. Keanu Reeves. I, I don't know what else I could say about him that hasn't been said by a lot of other people. Um, the man outside of his own acting is considered to be a true gem of a human being, uh, just a real kind, uh, philanthropist type person, somebody who's just really hardworking and dedicated to his craft, but never forgets where he came from and uh, really thanks and, and is a great collaborator, it seems, and is massively dedicated to, to his, his craft. I know people talk about Tom Cruise a lot when it comes to the stunts, but it's like, don't, for, don't forget what Keanu is bringing to, to the table for this. Uh, you see what I did there? Table, high table, stupid. Uh, Ian McShane, once again, he is back um, as Winston. Talk a bit more, uh, more about him when I get into the spoilers. Lance Reddick, uh, very sad how he died um, very recently, which uh, he, uh, in the movie, he's not in the movie a lot, uh, but he is there. So it was cool to see him, but I'm, I'm so curious about his death. Did anybody out there like figure out like what happened? Or, or maybe I can look at this because... I didn't think he was in poor health and they said that like he like died of like natural causes. Let me see if I can type, find this out. Lance Reddick cause of death. Oh, okay. They, they have released something, but it looks like it's actually being disputed by, by the act, by a family attorney of, of the actor's family. Huh? Okay, well, let, let's take a look at this, because this was actually very, very fresh. Like, Los Angeles Times put out an article, like, three hours ago. People Magazine put this out. Uh, I'll click this People Magazine one. Let's see this. Okay, come on, just show me the thing. I, I just, just tell me where it's at. Okay. Okay. So it says, according to People, that Reddick's death certificate, which was first made public by TMZ... Of course it was TMZ. Uh, earlier Thursday and later obtained by people listed. This is where my shitty medical speak will come in. Uh, I-S-C-H-E-M-I-C. So I ischemic, however the hell you say that, heart disease, and A-T-H-E-R-O-S-C-L-E-R-O-T-I-C atherosclerotic Jesus atherosclerotic I'll try that coronary artery disease they are listing that as his immediate cause of death now I'm not actually going to do a copy and paste here because I like just because I read that does that really mean I know what that means no uh but according to this <clears throat> it's related to a coronary artery disease and just according to, I don't even know if this is, it's probably WebMD. It says damage or disease in the heart's major blood vessels. The usual cause is the buildup of plaque. This causes uh, coronary arteries to narrow, limiting blood flow to the heart. Coronary artery disease can range from no symptoms to chest pain to a heart attack. Uh, treatments include lifestyle changes, medications, angioplasty, and or surgery. So I wonder, I mean, if that is true, then, you know, maybe it's just there's like no real uh, early indicators for it. Well, actually, I mean, this said that there's some indicators uh, having a heart attack, but that, that could be a one and done, right? Like if it's severe enough, like you're just kind of screwed. So maybe that's what happened to him. But 
excuse me. In any case, I mean, it's still still very shitty um, that he passed away. I I mean, just I I think the guy was very talented. I also remember he was on the wire. Um, but anyway, it's just very sad. Um, but it was nice to see him in this movie. Uh, Got to talk about Donnie Yen. Uh, it man himself he is in this movie and he is once again a blind badass uh, just like he was in rogue one which i didn't actually know he would be blind in this uh but fortunately i did i didn't think he was like the same type of blind person where he's like i am one with the force the force is with me i'm one of the force the the wick is with me he didn't do that um there's actually one scene in particular that that stood out to me where i was like oh okay like this is actually a very clever use of like explaining how can person that's blind that is not daredevil uh be on the same level of john wick and and i won't spoil that scene because it's it's very cool uh but they they make it believable enough that i'm like oh okay you know whatever i mean it's donnie yen like he already has a reputation enough if it was someone other than him maybe it wouldn't have worked but it's donnie yen and most people that are going into this movie have probably seen him in something before so it's not the first time and they're just happy to see him Hell, you can make him blind, deaf, and have his arms tied behind his back, and they could probably still find a way in this universe to make it make sense for him to beat the shit out of people. So, he was amazing in this movie. I thought him and Keanu Reeves had great chemistry together, and it was awesome. I mentioned Hiroyuki Sonata. He's here. Bill Skarsgård, he is not Pennywise in this. He is a baby-faced, high-table douche that you just basically want to see him get killed (laughs) throughout the movie because he's just really snobby and and arrogant and uh well he he did what he was supposed to do which was play a good villain and i thought he was a good villain clancy brown shout out to him quick mr krabs himself that's right that's right people i'm not going to talk about his work on shawshank redemption or highlander or anything else no that's mr krabs well, Mr. Krabs is in this movie, and he is sort of a, a, a judge, jury, and executioner kind of guy. I don't actually even know if they say his character's name. He just has a cool white beard, and he's got some slick threads, and he just looks cool, I guess. It's a very simplistic view of his character. I'm sure if Clancy Brown is listening to this, he's like, wow, dick, that's not really how I look at my character. But hey, whatever. I, at least I acknowledge you on this. I thought you were cool. And I also like that there is a slight, I'm sure it had to have been intentional, callback to Highlander. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And then, of course, Lawrence Fishburne. He, he's in it, not really that much, but he is the Bowery King once again, and it's Lawrence Fishburne. So seeing, seeing him and Keanu together, uh, I, I will always be happy to see that. As a fan of The Matrix, I'm not going to ever be disappointed with that pairing. Uh, <clears throat> you know, something... Something else that stands out to me in this movie is the realism aspect of it versus its big glorified use of hyperviolence. And and I I'm not trying to make sense of this here just on the fly as one does when they, you know, plan a podcast and record it. Uh <laughs> but I I feel like when the first John Wick movie came out, part of the appeal and part of what made it really land with people apart from him uh killing people that were trying to hurt dogs or uh, killing a dog in some cases. Uh, There was a sense of realistic action in that, you know, there was realistic hand-to-hand combat. Uh, There was a lot of um, 
people that worked with weapons uh, on site in the film to make sure that Keanu knew how to do b- proper ballistics handling and training and whatnot. Very realistic to that extent, but had just enough hyper violence. When I say hyper, it's like he's killing a, uh, a almost an obscene amount of people with a degree of accuracy that seems uh, obviously much more... I'm trying to not, not say unbelievable, but like, you know, John Wick is almost like a superhero um, in certain extents because of how well trained he is, almost like a Jason Bourne, where like what he's doing almost seems to defy real, uh, real reality. Um, but anyways, the first movie has hyperviolence, but I still felt it is very grounded uh, in its world. Now, by the time we get to the fourth movie, I feel like they're they're dangerously close to getting to that fast and furious thing where if they don't either, you know, have the story, uh, you know, come to a close or if they don't, um, be careful, the stakes will not feel that much because if, if John Wick can, you know, not get hurt or, you know, really, you know, suffer sometimes for some of the things that's going on, then, you know, he's just going to kind of seem like an invincible superhuman that has the cheat codes on and it's just going from one room to the next, just, you know, getting a bunch of skill points before he gets to the finale and fights the boss. But anyways, I just, I guess what I'm trying to get at with this is that I'm wondering if any of you out there felt like the hyper violence in this or the sense of fighting or the, the scale of the fighting in this was ever too much. Because I admit there were times when I was watching this where, you know, maybe it's just because I I study so much of the behind the scenes of a movie and I and I really kind of go down these rabbit holes that I can kind of see the prep and production on display and it can sometimes take me out of it. So maybe that's why I'm like, oh, this seems like too perfect almost for the action. Maybe it needs to be more dirty or, or gritty. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I got the sense in this movie that despite them doing a, a big, uh, grandiose celebration of everything they've done over these wick movies, it was at times getting a little, a little ridiculous where you're just like, okay, like nobody, I don't care if it's John wick, like nobody would be alive from what just happened there. And maybe that's not the point, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the, the thing that I'm missing is that the world of Wick is not meant to be a hundred percent based in reality. So it's okay if some of these people can take a hell of a more, hell more of a beating, uh, than your average person. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know, but I just, I wanted to throw that out there. See what y'all think. I, I, I don't know, but it had to be said now the world of Wick World Wick is cool. I mean, you got your gold coins still. You got your hotels. The no business can be conducted on continental grounds. So please don't shoot the shit out of people while you are at my hotel. Unless you want to be excommunicado or have your hotel blown in half uh, by douches on the high table. So I like the world of Wick. Um, trying to think what they really added to this. Like if there was really much more that they added. I don't think they did. I think I just think they just kept showing the way things work, how they still have like the the old school like ladies that are uh you know updating the contract prices and the I sound like an idiot. The place it's like the old nineteen fifties thing with like, you know, the old school telephone lines, that whole thing. Good lord. If if you know what the hell I'm talking about, I hope it makes sense by me saying that. But you still have that. Um 
high table is the high table. You have that hierarchy. You have all these people that know of Wick. So I don't know if the world necessarily got like super expanded in this one, but I just like the world of Wick. I like this whole world of underground assassins and how there's all these rules and, and CD codes and agreements. Oh, you know what? Just totally random. I just realized in all the characters and the cast I mentioned, I didn't mention the new one. Um, let me, let me bring this up here. Sorry. I'm going back to the cast, but I'm like, why did I not mention this guy? Uh, no, 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 not you. Um, Shamir Anderson. Hey, he has the same last name as me. Maybe we're related, except definitely not. Uh, he plays a person named Tracker in this, or he, he referred to himself as Mr. Nobody, which I did kind of get a panic for a second. I'm like, oh, please don't, don't do fast and furious on me, please. John Wick does not need to be fast and furious. It's John Wick, not right or die. Uh, Thankfully, he is not like Kurt Russell in that movie. But I, I forgot to give a shout out to this guy. Um, very interesting. He kind of plays a backseat uh, in a lot of the movie, but it's like he wants to go in and kill Wick, but not till it's quite the right moment. Uh, so he's sort of like a an observer, if you will, but he's still skilled. And he also has a dog. So there you go. You got your dog fix in there. Uh, but just real quick mention to him. I thought he was badass. Uh, I liked him. Thought he was a good actor. I actually would like to see him either continue in the world of the Wick or just, you know, I'll check out that actor in another thing that he does because he stood out to me. Thought he was really, really good. Um, let's see. Where was I at? Talking about the world. Um, world is cool. I think that's I think that's all I'm going to say. Just I'll, I have other stuff I want to talk about on this, but world was good. It's fine. Um I talked about my favorite moments on here, but this is where I want to start getting into spoiler discussion, okay? So here it is. Here's your warning, everybody. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. That's kind of ridiculous, but you, you get my point. I am now going to be talking about spoilers for John Wick, Chapter 4. So if you have not seen it, shut this off, and thanks for listening to the podcast. I'll catch you in the next episode. Seriously, thank you. See, I even gave a little bit of a pause there to make sure that those people could leave. But you've all seen Chapter 4, the ones that made it. Hopefully in a theater. You didn't just watch that on your couch. Check that shit out in a movie theater. It needs to be seen. But I got to talk about the ending here, which is very much in the vein of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think Stelhelski, the director, he's been pretty open about that already. That this movie was definitely taking some influence heavily from that style of movie spaghetti westerns because it ends up being in a western shootout pretty brutal i i won't go into the the real specifics of the scene but for those of us that have seen it it does appear for the time being that john wick is dead um I was actually surprised frankly because i thought that they were just gonna I don't want to say fast and furious, but I mean, the comparisons there, I'm like, are they just going to, you know, just, you know, just keep dragging this revenge story out and keep having him, you know, find more reasons to kill. Or is this guy going to finally run out of steam, get his revenge and then, and then, you know, go where he needs to, which is die because he has killed so many people across this movie. Like, I don't know how he would be able to get out of it cleanly. So him dying actually makes sense to me, but Again, just with how well these movies do and how much people like it, uh, I, I was surprised. But I, to me personally, it's like I actually hope he stays dead 
because I just think good things should come to an end. I, I don't think that you should just keep it going. Quit while you're on a high note. And I think if they ended the John Wick specific movies with Keanu here, that would be perfectly fine. I felt the ending was fitting because he, he, they flash back to the first movie where he's thinking of his wife, Helen, um, almost very Blade Runner-esque. You could like see them pick, you know, playing the tears in the rain, uh, song because he like, you know, falls over on a staircase after he goes through with this duel and, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it, I was surprised. I, I was, you know, a little emotional too. Uh, there was some nice tying into the next scene, um, you know, where Winston has the beloved, uh, husband, I think, I think that's what he wanted, like on his tombstone. Uh, but here's where, this is where I'm just kind of open end discussing this movie. And I, I'm just, I'm putting this out there. I'm going to put out the, the speculation that it has, and I'll tell you what I think about it too. Uh, but I'd like to hear from you as well. So the real question is, is, is Wick actually dead? Now, I looked up a little bit uh, just to see if there was, you know, anyone from the cast that actually admits this, if they've actually planned for five. Of course, they're being ambiguous about it because they are just saying, eh, could be, might not be, we'll see. Because if you watch the movie, yes, we see that he's been shot like three times. Yeah, we see him, you you know, like not fall on the stairs, but like he like goes to his knees and I think he goes down to the side, but they never really truly show like that close up shot where he's like, or, you know, him being lowered into the ground and like dirt being thrown on his face. So we don't really know if he's actually dead, which is probably smart because if the filmmakers decide that there's a way to continue the story that makes sense, they can leave it open-ended. So they're not putting themselves into a corner by having him truly be just dead dead um but i don't know i it's like part of part of me likes that because again as i said it, it gives them some wiggle room creatively to continue but i also think that you have to ask yourself sometimes is it is it time for this to be the end like like do you really actually have to continue this do you always have to continue something um i'll tell you what i think about that the answer is no no, you do not. Uh, sometimes it is more impactful and more meaningful if something truly does end. And I don't mean like some Marvel thing where like you can bring it back through like a time travel thing or through a resurrection stone or through a multi a multi-dimensional universe. Just end. I don't think something should just go on and on for the end of time. It needs to tell a story that lands and a story that sticks and a story that feels complete. And I just think for John Wick, for the, the legacy of these four movies, it makes all the sense in the world to me that it's actually just done right now. I mean, it does. It make, like, does that make me sad? Sure. Of course it does. I, I love John Wick. I, I love John Wick, the movies. I, I love Keanu Reeves doing this work, doing, uh, seeing the amount of work he's put in. I, I like the character, but I didn't want it to go on forever and ever. It didn't really make sense to. And, you know, past him having his wife, I mean, that was kind of his, you know, reason for being until he got dragged back into the underworld when she dies of the illness and the dog dies. But I didn't, like, what's John Wick going to do if he's alive? Is he just going to, you know, 
and I'll go into like go buy an apartment somewhere and just kind of sit there and stare. No, like he's he's not that guy. I, I don't see him just like living some quiet solitude life, like watering plants. I think he'd just be bored. So in a, in a lot of ways, I think this is the ending that needed to happen. Like he needed to he needed to die. Okay, I'll say it. I think he, I think he needed to die. Um, wasn't expecting it to happen right now, but if if he's if he's truly dead, I think just let him stay dead and then expand this world and tell other stories with it. Because Lord knows there's plenty to do, and I already know they have that planned anyway. So that's what I think about that. Now, on the speculation side of things, where the movie's definitely leaning heavy on the ambigu and the ambiguity is with Winston. Now, after we have the shot where Wick is like, Ugh, damn it, I'm going to die, but I love Helen. Ugh. And he you know, falls over and we get the fade over shot to the graveyard. Uh, we see John Wick's uh, wife's uh, grave spot. We see his. And you know, we see Winston put his hand on the grave. And that's uh, one indicator where we are going to see this p- potential question where we see his hand. And it has this tattoo, and it looks very similar to tattoos that Mr. Wick has himself, uh, the Russian crime syndicate tattoos, uh, however the hell that family works. Uh, and then he says uh, in Russian, which is another telling sign, he says, farewell, my son. And so then that is definitely a question being posed to the audience. And the question is, is Winston John Wick's biological father? Is it his father? Now, I don't think the movie, at least right now, if they, if they continue the story, they might explore that maybe if, if Wick isn't actually dead, but I think they just threw that in there to show the possibility that Winston could in fact be Wick's father, which if you're going to go down the rabbit hole of this theory, it doesn't, it's not that far fetched age wise. You could see it. He has always had a protective, uh, mentoring, sort of nurturing um, connection with Wick since the first movie. He's, you know, he kind of gives him tips. He he likes him. He respects him. Um, you know, seems to want to help him, even when it breaks uh, continental rules or it breaks his own. Uh, not, not, I was about to not, I already said break continental rules, but when it's, you know, even in risk of his own life, he, he would still do things for Wick where it's like, well, why is he just doing this? Just because he likes Keanu Reeves. Uh, so it could make sense that he's the father. Um, I'm going to say that it is a yes, that he's the father. That, that's what I'm going to say. I know like they have the whole, like you came to us, like from the previous movies, like the, from the Russian people. So like Angelica Houston, she's like, you came to us as a baby, Jonathan, and we taught you how to do ballet and shoot people in the face. <laughs> I, I don't know how exactly they did that, but they explained the Russian orphanage thing, but that doesn't mean of course that he doesn't have a father. And so in, However many ways you want to look at it, it's not far-fetched to me that Winston could be his father. Again, will it ever be definitively explained? Probably not, because it's more fun to do what I'm doing right now, which is just speculating and talking about the what-ifs. I think he's his dad. I always actually kind of thought maybe that in the first place, but this sort of gave a bit of a oomph, you know, a deliberate uh, stamp of, hey, he might be his dad. So we'll, we'll see for sure. Um, what comes next for Wick? It appears there is a new movie called Ballerina or 
I mean, that might just be its tentative title until they change it. They could say like ballerina, a John Wick story or something like that. Like they did with that solo, a star Wars story. Um, that's going to have Ana de Armas. It's supposed to come out in June of 2024. So we'll see Ana de Armas. I think she's a, you know, really talented actress. I'm sure she'll be more than capable of carrying her own in this movie. Don't expect the action to be just like the John Wick movies, but if they keep it in the world and they have a story to tell, uh, then great, fine, go ahead and do that. And then I also know that they have a series on the Continental, uh, the New York Hotel, and that's supposed to have Mel Gibson in it, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if it's a like a prequel to him being maybe like Winston's father or he's a manager of the hotel like at a different time or if it's set in the future. I don't really know. I just know if you want to do uh, like a mini series on HBO around some of the stuff that goes on with that hotel, that's cool. Like I would I would happily watch that and if you got Mel Gibson attached with it, like yeah, say no more, I'm in. But it's safe to say that despite whatever we think right now as fans of the John Wick movies, if it is the end of Wick, it is certainly not the end of the Wickverse, okay? They might need to come up with an actual name for it. I'm, I'm sure maybe some nerd out there is like, actually, this is the, the WCU, the Wick Cinematic Universe. I, I don't really know. Not really sure if there is a name on it, but whatever. Wick will go on one way or another. So that is that. Okay, um, <clears throat> you know, I talked really, you know, it doesn't seem like that. I, I've, I've been talking for like a little over an hour, so I, I don't actually, like it felt like I was talking fast, but I think it's just because I had a lot that I wanted to say about this movie, and I just, I wanted to get it out there, and I, just, like, I was just pumped. I'm like, I, I just saw this movie a couple days ago. I got to get a podcast on this thing out there now, damn it. Uh, so that's what's happening, and, and that's what has happened, so thank you. Thank you for listening what i'm trying to tell you um what are y'all doing with the rest of your day i mean or is this nighttime when you're listening to this i i can never actually tell uh but in any case i do hope whatever it is that you have coming up here soon whether it's easter or if you're listening to this after easter again i don't know when exactly but I just hope that whatever you have coming up is good it's gonna make you happy and that you're just enjoying your life right now why am i ending that on that I don't know. Just, I, I hope you are doing you, you know, just do what makes you happy. Um, and I hope that things are going well for you in your life. So just ending on some positivity past all the bloody chaos that is John Wick chapter four. Okay. <clears throat> uh, that's all I got for this episode of the podcast. So thank you very much for listening again, plugging back to the very first things I was saying at the beginning. I will be at the Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival April 14th, 15th, and 16th at Collins Road Theaters. Seriously, it is an opportunity to see ScreenSpeak live, see it in person. I'm not recording a live episode, at least yet. We we will see. You never know. I never say never. But at the very least, I'll be there. My wife will be there as well. I'll have a booth. I'll have some some merch. Got some prizes I'm giving away. And I'm hopeful to have a lot of discussions with not only the filmmakers, but, you know, I want to talk with the fans. I want to talk with uh, people that are fans of the podcast, talk about fans of movies. I am probably going to talk so much during that festival that I won't want to speak for a month. But that should be fine because it just means I'll probably have a ton of content in the can that I'll have to edit and get out to you. And and that'll be more than okay in my book. So 
until that point, thank you all very much. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Seriously, appreciate you all. And uh, well, if, it, if this episode wasn't an endorsement of it, I definitely think you should check out John Wick Chapter 4 in a movie theater. Don't do it at home, okay? All right, that's it, everybody. You all take care. I'll catch you all in the next episode. See ya!